At Fellowship, we want to be radical in generosity, and one of the ways that I've been inspired to do that is through our giving prayer. It reminds us not only to be generous with our money, but it inspires us to be generous with our relationships and with our time and with all of our lives. When we begin to understand that these things are gifts that were not deserved and we are given to us by God, it's so much easier for us to give those to others and give to the church. When we are radical in generosity, we make Jesus essential. All right, we're continuing our series uh, through DNA and I'm talking about our mission statement, these core values. So if you are, recap real quick, catch you up real quick. Our mission is to make Jesus essential, basically in every area of our lives. See, we think that life with Jesus as the captain of our lives makes all of life better. And so we don't want to hold anything back from him. He is essential for all of life. And so we've said that the only way this happens, the only way we are able to make Jesus essential is by going deeper into the gospel, which is core value one, rooted in the gospel, which means we must proclaim, understand, and practice it. These core values are meant to be arrows pointing us in the direction of accomplishing this mission, that everyone within our reach would begin to see Jesus as an essential part of their lives. And so if we're going to make Jesus essential, we've got to be rooted in the gospel. we we got to grow together. We think we grow better together, not isolated. Uh, and today we're going to look at, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to be radical in generosity. Now let me just tell you, every preacher hates talking about generosity, and I am no different. So we'll just get through today together, all right? If we're going to accomplish our mission to make Jesus essential to everyone within our reach, we must be radical in generosity. Generosity is the spirit and action. Amen. Generosity is the spirit and action of freely giving of myself and from myself to others. When we think of generosity, we might primarily be tempted to think of money. I want you to think of generosity as all of you, every part of you. It's not one thing or another. It is all of me for all of you. Let me be clear from the beginning. When I'm talking about generosity, I'm not simply talking about generosity toward our church or a church. I'm talking about your whole life. Like, yes, I think you should be generous toward uh, a church or our church and our mission, but I also think you should be generous toward your family, generous toward your friends, generous in your work, and generous with strangers. Radical generosity should mark our whole life. It should mark our whole life. Other people should see our generosity, not because we, we flaunt it around or brag about it, but because it's obvious to everyone who is observing us that something has happened to us and changed us to make us into people who are radically generous. Like they should look at us and go, don't make sense why this person is just so generous. See, generosity always leaves its mark on the person you're generous with. Like even small moments of generosity leave an impact on people. Like I can think of these moments in my life where people were generous to me and it changed our friendship forever. Like it, it, it marked something. It, was, it warmed my heart. It melted me. 
Like I remember one time uh, I was getting big into whitewater kayaking and, and I was like this poor, really, really poor, you know, youth pastor and I didn't have much money and I got my kayak, but, you know, I was going barefoot and my buddy had these like, you know, those toe shoes you put your toes in. That seems weird, uh, but they're toe water shoes and I really wanted a pair and he had them. They're so cool. And he was like, here, I got some extra ones. And I was just like, for me? Really? I can have them? And that just, that just changed something. I, mean, I can think of times when people took me to dinner or, or, or bought me a pair of shoes or sent me a gift card, just said, hey, why did you know I was thinking about you? Those things make a difference in people's lives, and they change relationships forever. See, the Lord, the Lord agrees. You hear him? Generosity is important. It's important for our own hearts, and it's important for the impact we make in our community and others' lives. So if you're following along in your worship guide, taking notes, or if you got the new app, you can do notes on the app. Here's where we're going. Three motivations for generosity, three reasons we resist generosity, and three areas to increase in generosity. So first, three motivations for generosity. One, we steward what already belongs to God. The idea of a steward is kind of foreign to us as modern people. We don't have stewards really anymore. And so I think maybe a, a modern analogy would be someone who owns a rental house. You know, you own a second house and you want to rent it out, uh, but you don't, you know, you don't want to be dealing with, you know, finding renters and, and, and all the paperwork. And every time something breaks, getting a call and having to find a repair guy to send them out to deal with it. And so what do you do? But you go hire someone to manage the property, to steward the property for you. And they handle finding the people to get in the home. They handle the contract. They handle every time the roof leaks or the air conditioning goes out. They call the repair guy. They get it set up. And you are oblivious until you get the bill later. They steward the property for you. Historically, this is what stewards did for wealthy people, for landowners, for those who had means. You would have a steward who would, who would on your behalf, handle your money and your property for you. And that is exactly what we do with everything we own because it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. One of my favorite passages that makes this so clear is Matthew chapter 22, verse 17. It says, uh, the, the, these guys are coming to try to trip up Jesus and they ask him this question. Tell us then what you think, Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard, they marveled, and they left him and went away. I love this passage because of how the religious guys are always trying to trap Jesus and Jesus just like reverses it on them and leaves them stunned. So should you pay taxes to Caesar is the question that they ask. And, and Jesus says, pull out a coin. Show me the coin. Whose image is on it? Caesar's. Caesar's image is on it. Give to Caesar what belongs to him. You see, give to him, give to Caesar that which belongs to him, the thing that bears his image. But then give to God what is God. So what is it that belongs to God? Well, the implication is give to God the things that bear the image of God. 
If you're giving to Caesar the things that bear his image, we must give to God the things that bear the image of God. And what bears the image of God but you and I? You see, we can talk about how God created everything and owns everything, and that is true and that is relevant. But what I think may be more important is to talk about and think through how God created you, wove you together in your mother's womb, knitted you together, knows every head on your head. He created you from nothing, and he made you in his image. He created everything in the world, but you, as the crown jewel of his creation, made you in his image. We belong to God. His inscription is on us. And so we should live and give our lives in service back to our creator. Our generosity in one sense should be spurred by who we are as image bearers of God who give ourselves back to our creator. It's the reason we pray every week in our giving prayer, all that we have, we have received from God. And that's true. Everything in our life is a gift from God and that we are to be stewards of those gifts. Everything from our health, to our possessions and our money, to our relationships are all gifts of God. And so we should treat everything in our lives as belonging to God. And God wants us not to hoard those things, but to be gracious and give them away, to be good stewards of them and bless people. Two, God paid our biggest debt. God has paid our biggest debt. The second motivation that we have to be generous is that God paid our biggest debt. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Paul, if you'll notice, when he, every time he opens his letters and he kind of gives the formal greeting, most of his letters he says, Paul, a servant of Christ. And when we read our Bibles, we just kind of read over that and think, oh, it's just saying, hello, Apollo, servant of Christ, da, 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 da. let's get on to the meat. But when he uses this word servant, in the English, it doesn't quite come through. In the Greek, it's the word doulos, which means bond servant or slave. Paul is, so if you translate it that way with kind of more of the, the force, it says, Paul, a slave of Christ. And what Paul doesn't mean is the negative connotations of slavery that we think of today. He means that he wholly and completely, wholly with a W, all of him belongs to God. That he has been so purchased by the blood of Jesus. And so now his whole life is to be lived in servitude to the one who saved him. I so belong to him. I'm like his slave. We are so, we, why are we generous? We are generous because God was so generous to us. Because God moved heaven and earth to rescue us. If you have ever been in credit card debt, you understand the, the weight of being under a crushing debt. When you're under credit card debt, it's hard to get out of because the interest rates are so high and sometimes you find yourself just paying the interest to, to get by. And it just builds and builds and builds on you. You feel like you might, can never get out of it. Well, that, is, that kind of debt is nothing compared to the debt that we owe God on account of our sin. It is a debt we would never be able to pay back. We would never be able to afford, and it literally crushes us. But God, in his infinite grace and kindness, sends his son to pay that debt. You know, we talk about salvation being a free gift, right? And it is. Salvation is a free gift. God comes, and he pays the debt free of charge. But it is not as though God is not asking for anything in return. He is not asking us to pay the debt back. 
But Jesus makes it clear. To follow Jesus will cost you everything. That's why people turn away from him, right? So the rich young ruler says, nope, I can't follow him because it costs too much. You want to follow me? It's gonna, you, want to, you want to live? You want to find life in me? Then you know, you know you got to do that? You must die. Find life, you must die. To be rich, you must give away everything. It'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't just want your lip service. It doesn't just want your words. It doesn't just want your actions. He wants all of your whole being, every square inch of you, every part of you, every facet. He wants. That's why the rich young ruler has a problem. If you don't know the story, it's this guy who comes in. He's like all about Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. Like, Jesus, I have done all the commands. I've done everything right. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, that's great. You have done all these things. Go sell everything you have, and you can come follow me. And he's like, oh, I don't know about that, Jesus. Because the one thing he loved and wanted more than Jesus was his wealth. Because he couldn't give up his wealth, he walks away from God. We give our whole lives to God, not because we're trying to pay back this debt he's paid for us, not because we think in, in, in giving our lives somehow he's going to give us a double blessing. We give our whole lives to God because God gave his whole life for us. Like literally, he gave his son his whole life to die on the cross for us. He paid our debt. And he's transformed us. He's made us new. He's given us something better than anything this world has to offer. And so to give my whole life in service to him feels like it's cheap. It's easy. It's Yes, I want to do that. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice to follow Jesus. Fathers, today if you uh, went and bought flowers for your wife and you said, you, you brought them home and you said, Happy Mother's Day, Here's some, some flowers, and she got them and said, oh, these are so beautiful. So much for, for remembering this day and, and thinking of me and honoring me, da 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 da, da. And, and you responded, well, it's Mother's Day, so I knew if I didn't, I'd be in the doghouse, so here you go. <laughs> you would be smacked upside the head, uppercutted with the flowers, sleeping on the couch for the rest of the week, right? When we love our wives... We get them flowers, not out of duty. Oh, it's Mother's Day. Got to do something for the old lady. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. They say, oh, it's Mother's Day. And now I have an excuse and a reason to lavish love and grace and praise upon this woman who has bore my children. And who is a wonderful mother, and I want to praise her. It is not duty, it is delight. When you love her and when you really want to honor her, it's delight. And our generosity should never be out of duty. Oh, got to give. Someone sells on the street corner, better give them a nickel. So, you know, the church asking for money again, better give it, got to do it. But we don't give out of duty, like, oh, that's my obligation. We give out of delight, out of the overflow of gratitude for what God has done for us and has given us and has been to us. We say, Jesus, you have given me something that is richer than anything else. And so I am going, with the riches you have given me, I am going to be gracious and lavish grace on other people. We give out of the overflow of gratitude. It is not duty, it is delight. And, and let me just say one thing that ticks me off. We do not give 
particularly financially, in order that God may give us more. If you don't, don't, just don't watch preachers on TV. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a good, just don't watch them. And particularly the ones that want to get on and say, hey, you at home, and they're reaching to the TV, just send that $100 gift and God will give you a thousand back. That's just stupid. God isn't trying to bless us with more money. He's already blessed us in Christ. That is an anti-gospel. We don't give so that God comes and gives us something back in return. We give because he's already given to us. We're giving out of gratitude, not to get something else. I could go on, but I'll stop. I'll get get mad and say bad words. We give because he gave to us. Three, we give our motivations because we are investing in the eternal kingdom. We are generous because we belong to God and he's rescued us, but also we want to invest in this kingdom. You remember the words of Matthew 6 of Jesus when he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? What is it that you treasure? If you treasure the things of this world, if the things of this world are what bring you delight, then you will invest in them. You will invest to get more of them. But if you treasure Christ and his kingdom, you will invest in that. When you know this world will never satisfy you, but you know that only he will, we will invest in his kingdom. As we pray every week, we bring nothing into this world and we take nothing out of it. We, we, we came in this world the same way we're going out, naked and screaming. And that's true. Whatever we invest in the kingdom of Christ will live forever. Whatever we invest in this broken kingdom, this world, will rust and rot and pass away. But whatever we invest in the kingdom of Christ will live for eternity. It is, a, it is a return on your investment that lasts forever. I heard a story recently about a man who uh, wanted to take his wealth to heaven. And he wanted so he was a rich man, and he so badly wanted to take it to heaven with him. And so uh, he, he knew that wasn't really part of the rules, and so he started praying, God, would you let me take my wealth to heaven? And he had a, an angel came to him in his dream, and then the angel said, hey, that's really kind of against the rules. We don't do that. And he said, well, could you just make one exception for me? I just, I, it really means a lot to me. I'd really like to bring it. And the angel checked back with Jesus, came back, said, all right, we'll make an exception, but you get one suitcase. He said, okay, that's fine, I can do that. And so he goes to the bank and he takes all his cash and he cashes it in and he gets gold bars. And he puts them in the suitcase and he's ready. And when he dies, he goes and he stands at the pearly gates and, and he meets St. Peter there at the pearly gates. And, and Peter says, oh, hang on a minute, you can't, you can't bring anything in here. He says, oh, no, I got special permission. And Peter's like, I don't think so, but let me go check. And he goes and he checks with the boss, and he comes back. He says, okay, that's right. You're allowed to bring it in, I guess. I guess you got a waiver, but I'm going to have to check the contents first. So he says, that's fine. So he goes, and he, and he opens up the suitcase, and he opens it up. He sees all the gold bars in there. He kind of looks at it. You brought pavement? You see... Mike just got it. (laughs) Streets of gold. 
for those of you who haven't picked up yet. <laughs> the riches of this world are worthless in the kingdom of God. So let us be shrewd investors who do not invest in that which will one day be worthless, but invest in what is eternal and will be priceless in the kingdom of God forever. Church, we must be people who are radical in generosity because we've been radically changed by Jesus. All right, three reasons that we resist generosity. Next point, here we go. We gotta we got move fast. Y'all got Mother's Day's lunches to get to, I know. Three reasons we resist generosity. One, I'm calling this compartmentalized generosity. Have you ever felt the call or the conviction or the sense that you needed to, uh, uh, to, to, to give in some way? That you needed to, to serve your time or you needed to give, but you resisted the feeling, not because you lacked the means to give or the ability to give, but simply because you didn't want to give that thing up, whether that be money or time or whatever. Have you ever thought, you know, I don't give financially to my church because I give a lot of my time and those kind of offset each other? Or have you ever thought, I don't give a lot of my time, but I write a big check so I don't have to? Maybe this self-justification for not doing what the Lord has called you to do, maybe serving, giving of your time, giving financially, Maybe that feeling of justifying I don't have to do one because I do the other is actually exposing an idol in your heart. An idol is something other than Jesus that we believe will bring us some sort of joy or happiness or satisfaction. And we cling to our idols. We all have them. Every one of us in this room have them. We cling to them with clenched fist tight because we believe if we lose them, then we lose something that makes us whole or joy, gives us joy or satisfaction. Proverbs says, another withholds what he should give and he only suffers one. Listen to this, wisdom from Proverbs. One withholds what he should give. He's withholding it, he's keeping it for himself and he only suffers want. You see, when you cling to your stuff, you become a bottomless pit that can never be filled, never have enough. Let me be clear. God does not need your money. <laughs> it's worthless to him. He don't need it. But he wants you. And he wants all of you. And sometimes it is our time or our money or our stuff or the things we want that keep God at a distance from, our, from us. That they, they stand between us and they say, God, you can't have this. It's mine. We're like the rich young ruler and unwilling to follow because we won't let this thing go. My challenge to you is to try loosening your grip on your things. Whatever it is your heart clings to, whatever it is your heart wants to keep, loosen your grip. Give it away. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's money. I don't know what it is, but try giving it away. If you can't give it away, it has become your master. But when you can give it away, you're truly free. When you can't give something away and you hold tightly to it, it shackles you and you become its slave. When you give it away, you're truly free. The rich young ruler gripped his stuff so tight that he lost Jesus in the process. C.S. Lewis says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who only has God. 
Think about this. He who has God and everything else has no more than him who only has God. Beware your heart that says, I don't have to be generous in this area because I'm generous in that area. God wants all of you. And he wants all of you to be generous. Two, second reason we resist, hidden greed. No one had to teach us to be greedy. Have you ever watched a kid, like you try to give them a toy and they're like, nah, I'm good, I'll go over here. But then some other kid touches the toy, like actually, hang on a minute, I think I did want to play with this toy. Maybe your perfect children don't do that, but mine do. Except Eden. You don't do that, right, honey? She's just blinking at me. Our sinful nature becomes evident from early in our lives. We're naturally greedy people, but it is hard to know you're greedy. Like, none of us in this room think we're greedy. Not one of us. It's hard to know. It's not like other sins, right? It's not like adultery. Like, you know what doesn't happen with adultery? You don't wake up one day and roll over and go, ah, you're not my wife? How'd you get here? How'd you get in this bed? That doesn't happen, right? You know when you're committed to adultery. But as a pastor, I've had people come to me to work through all kinds of sins and struggles, ranging from everything you could imagine. But not once has anyone ever come to me and said, hey, pastor, I think my greed is destroying my own heart and soul and family and friends, and I need help not being so greedy. No one has ever said that to me because greed hides itself. It hides itself from its victims. And that's the hard thing about greed. You might think you're actually super generous, but in reality, you're blind to your own greed. We might think we're super generous, but in reality, our generosity is just self-serving. Maybe, maybe you've heard the story about the, the king who called this peasant before him, and the peasant came, and he wheelbarrowed in this giant carrot and laid the carrot before the king. He said, oh, great king, oh, you've been so great. I wanted to give you this carrot. I grew it's the biggest one I've ever grown. I wanted to give it to you because you've been so great. And the king said, oh, thank you, servant. That's, that's so kind of you. Hey, I want to, you know, you've been such a great farmer, and this is such a great gift. I want to give you some of my own personal land for you to continue farming. So I'm going to give you these 10 acres over here for you. He's like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. But off in the distance, there was this knight who was kind of watching this take place. And, and the knight goes, oh, well, man, if the guy gets 10 acres for a carrot, what can I get for my prized horse? And so the next day, he comes before the king, and the knight says, oh, king, you're such a great king. You've been so great or whatever. I wanted to give you this, this best horse of mine to honor you. And the king looked at him and said, thanks. And the knight just kind of stood there like kind of waiting for what he was going to get. And it got a little awkward. And then the king says, are you waiting for what your, your reward is? And, they, and the knight said, well, yeah. And he said, you see, the difference is the peasant you saw the other day gave a carrot to the king. You gave a horse to yourself. Let our giving and our generosity not benefit us. Let it be free from greed. Let us not give in a way that is self-serving. Let us give in a way that when we give, we get nothing in return. Bless others. The third thing, third reason we resist generosity is because we think we're not needed. We think we're not needed. Many of us in this room don't make much money. Or we don't have very impressive skills. Or maybe we're really busy and we don't think we have a lot of time. And so we don't give. Not because we're unwilling, but because we think... I mean, what could measly old me do anyway? 
I can't write a big check. I can't play guitar. I can't teach. What could I do anyway? Jesus was with his disciples one day when all of these people were bringing their offerings into the temple. And all these rich people bringing these big offerings, big offerings. And this one little old widow comes and she has two, uh, two mites and she comes and she drops them in. And Jesus makes it clear as he tells his disciples that she gave more than everyone else because she gave all that she had and not just out of her abundance. There's a great hymn written by the Gettys and uh, it has this line in it that says, it's not what you give, but what you keep that the king is counting. And I remember the first time I heard that, boy, talk about being convicted. God doesn't need your money or your abilities or your time, but he wants you. He wants you and he wants you to be blessed. And the only way to be blessed in the kingdom of God is the opposite of this world. The first shall be last, Right? If you want to be rich, you got to give it away. You want to be rich, you want to, you want to find life, you got to die. You want to be rich, you got to give. Do not give of yourself based on the amount of impact that you can make. Do not think, oh, you know what, I don't need to give because I can only give this much. Or I don't need to serve because, because I don't really know what my gifting are. Or, don't, don't think that way. Don't give based on the amount of impact you can make. Give because the Lord uses small, foolish, weak, broken things to make a difference. Throughout the whole Bible, he does this. At every page, he's using broken, weak, small things so that he might get the glory. When we are weak and when we bring the little that we have, like this widow, when we give of our time, of our abilities, even if they are small and insignificant, God uses them for his glory. Do not let the size of your generosity get in the way of being generous. Generosity is not just about impact that it will have. It is about the impact it will have on you. It changes you. Finally, three areas we must increase in generosity. We pray every week that we would increase in generosity until it can be said there is no one in need among us. The three areas, our money and our possessions, do you know that people leave churches because they don't like it when their pastor talks about money? Pastors don't like talking about money either. But Jesus talked about it a lot, so we got to do it. Jesus talked a lot about money, not because he wanted it or needed it, but because how we use our money reveals what is really in our hearts. How we use our money shows what's really in our hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember that? Where is your treasure? If, you tre- if your treasure is in money or possessions or in the security that they bring, you will hoard them. You will hoard it all to have security. Or you'll just spend it all to make you feel happy. But if your treasure is in Christ, you'll increase in generosity until it can be said there is no one in need among you. When you know the value of Jesus in your life, you will treasure him above all else. So I want to challenge you, church, to be radical in generosity. If you belong to this church family and you believe in what God is doing here, if you do not currently give financially to our church, I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider starting doing that today. And if you are here and you would say, and you do give, ask the Lord, God, how might I increase in generosity? Should I give more? Maybe you've held back for some reason. Maybe it's a security thing and you think you've got to have a certain dollar amount to feel safe. God, how would you call me to give and be obedient to him and increase that, whatever that may be. Obey him. 
But let me be clear. If you do not belong to this family of faith, you don't believe in God, we do not want your money. Please do not use me and this one sermon on money that I've preached in the last year as an argument to say, oh, yeah, see, this is my church. They only care about money. That's just not true. And we just don't want yours. Keep it. This is about serving our Savior. Y'all see how I'm dressed? This money ain't for me. I got, I got an Apple watch, y'all. And that cost me a lot of money. I had to save up for that thing. So this ain't for me. This is for him. For following the Lord. Two, when we must increase in our time and our gifts. Nathan preached a whole sermon a few weeks ago on this. I don't have time to do that. But God has uniquely gifted you to serve our church, to serve his kingdom right now. Do not, listen to me, do not look down on yourself because you don't have some big flashy ability or gift. You don't play guitar or preach or lead some big ministry where you're seen. God has placed you here. He has gifted you specifically and purposefully. So do you know what we need? We need you. You are a part of this body. We need you just as much as I need my left hand. We need you. We need you. God has placed you here. And if you are not using your gifts to serve this body, we are deficient because of it. We are lacking the blessings God has meant to give Fellowship Baptist Church because we are lacking you and the gifts that God has placed you in our lives. Please. Use your time and your gifts, whatever they may be. If you don't know, let us help you figure them out. Come talk to me. We'll figure it out. But we need you. Let me give you an example. Some of you have the gift of encouragement, and no one knows, really. Like, it's not, you're not up here doing that. But what you do is you go to people who, who do, you notice them do something, and, and you go, and you just tell them how much it appreci- you appreciate them. Or you, or you see someone struggling, and you go and encourage them. Say, hey, man, I know you're doing a good job. Hey, you're doing a great job with your family. You go and you encourage, maybe you write them a letter, handwritten letter. You do something and you're an encouragement. That is a really, really big deal. That's a bigger deal than what I'm doing up here sometimes. Because people need encouragement. They need to be blessed. It is an amazing gift that blesses our church, helps it thrive. You need to use that gift. God has placed you here to use that. We need you. So church, second challenge, use your gifts, use your time, serve this body, serve these people, serve those you work with, serve your family, increase in generosity with your time and with your gifting. Finally, we must uh, be good stewards of our relationships. God has placed you in a family, among friends, among coworkers, and he's placed you amongst these relationships for a reason. Do not waste those relationships, invest in them. Invest in your children so that tomorrow they may build upon the legacy of faith that you started. Invest in your coworkers so that they might build an amazing company that serves the world. Invest in your friends so that they may cherish life to the fullest. Invest in your spouse so they may become the person God is making them into. Invest in those God has placed in your life because eternity might be at stake and you hold the knowledge to everlasting life. If, you, if we are going to be a church that accomplishes its mission to make Jesus essential, we must be a church that is radical in generosity. Generosity toward our church, toward ministry, toward those in need, toward our coworkers, toward our friends, toward our family, toward strangers. 
We must be radical in our giving of our money, of our giving of our time, of using our gifts, and of investing in relationships. Make it your goal to be known as a generous person, not because for pride's sake, not because you want everyone to look at you and think, oh, man, he's so great. He, he must be rich or whatever. Not for any of that crap. But so that they look at you and they know that they can call on you anytime they need you. I know so-and-so is generous. And when I'm in a pinch, I know if I call them, they will be there. Whether I need their time or their special gift or if I need help on my electric bill, I know they'll be there. Radical generosity only happens when you meet a God who models radical generosity toward us. And we have a father who adopted us into his family and he paid our debt to do it by sending his own son to die. We choose to be generous. We're not forcing to be generous. We choose to be generous because our father is generous. And as his daughters and sons, we want to show the world what he is like. It will take radical generosity to show the world what our Father is like. It will take radical generosity for us to reach the neighborhoods within a five-mile radius of this church. It's going to take radical generosity, radical time, radical gifting, radical effort. Because only those, only the people who have received the kind of radical generosity that God gives knows and lives that out, knows how to dish that kind of generosity out. And when we dish out that kind of generosity, God-sized generosity, people will want to know, what happened to you to make you act like this? What happened to you that you spend so much time up at that church? What happened to you that you spend so much time caring for people, serving people? What happened to you that you give so much money away? Well, let me tell you, his name is Jesus. In our response time this morning, I want to challenge you. If you would say, hey, God is calling me to increase my generosity, whether that be giving of your money, of your time, uh, of, your, of using your gifts, whether it be here at church or in your family or where, at work or wherever, while we sing this next song, come grab one of these white balls and throw it in there. Marking, I must increase in generosity until it can be said there is no one in need among us. We sing this song. Come grab that white ping pong ball and do that. I'm going to be the first to do it because I need to increase in generosity too because I'm not as generous as I should be. I like my stuff. I like it. I want to keep it. I like having money. But I need to give it away because my father gave away everything to redeem me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and goodness. We're thankful that you gave lavishly to us when we had nothing to give you. Father, make us a church and a people who are standing ready and willing to give our whole lives to you, that there's not a corner, a crack, a crook, or a cranny that we keep back, that we say, no, this is mine, but we give all of it. We give everything. We give every inch and centimeter and piece of our lives to you. God, would you help show us what our gifting is? Maybe we're encouragers. Maybe we're teachers. Maybe we're small group leaders. Maybe we're really good with kids and we need to serve and we love on kids. Maybe we, God, help us figure out what it is that we may use those gifts to bless others, to bless the church. Father, help us to sacrifice our time 
to get up off the couch, to, to not watch that movie, to, 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 to not go play that round of golf, and to use that time investing in relationships, investing in ministry, investing in the things that will last forever. God, help us to be a people who know the great gifts that have been given to us and let it change us so that we might give great gifts to the world and change it. Father, we love you. God, I pray that you would that you would stir and challenge the hearts of those in this room right now to increase in generosity until there is no one in need anywhere in our community. Father, help us to have the courage to, to walk up here in front of everybody and drop this white ball in and say, I need to increase in generosity. I love my time. I love my stuff but I need to give it away because of Jesus. I don't need to cling to it. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, give me some guys standing on the side and I'm gonna be up here. We wanna show you what he's like. We wanna show you the debt he's paid and how you can follow him. Come up and talk to us. If you wanna, be, if you wanna want us to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you about anything. God, give us courage to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. All those people said, amen. Let's stand and sing.